to the Roz Project Overdrive, an extension of the Roz Project Live that airs every Monday and Friday at 11 a.m. Central, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, in audio and video on Facebook Live, Periscope, Twitch, LinkedIn Live, and YouTube. A conversation about life, entrepreneurship, personal development, family tech, and marketing. Of course, my name is Ivan Temelkov, and I'm your host. And here's where you'll gather 100% real raw and unfiltered, life-changing advice to help you level up in every aspect of your life and business and help you reach your goals and dreams. Ladies and gentlemen, today I am joined with Andrew Bainbrink. Did I pronounce that correctly? <laughs> it's Bainbrink, but uh, it gets butchered you know, more than, uh, more than any other name in the world, so it's all good. Andrew Bainbrink. So, Andrew, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Ivan. Glad to be part of it. I know we were catching up earlier, so uh, I know we're going to dive right into a lot of a lot of things that I think are really relevant uh, for people creating the life of their dreams. Absolutely, absolutely. And before we do that, I just want to give the listeners and watchers of this episode just a quick paragraph about who you are, so they know where you're where you're coming from. So, CEO and one of the co-founders of Sports Force, uh, a you were a three-sport athlete in high school in a former college, Arizona State, and professional baseball player at the Tampa Bay Race and Texas Rangers, uh, bringing a wealth of hands-on college recruiting and sports experience, uh, continuously inspired to teach student-athletes, coaches, and parents how to reach their potential play sports with integrity and achieve their goals on and off the field. Uh you have personally assisted over 300 student athletes and families through the college recruiting process. Uh, let's see, founder of Yoga for Homeless. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, and also a believer in human transformation and force for good. Amazing background, man. Like, that's, that's, I mean, let's, but before we dive into all of this, let's start with, you know, childhood. Let's talk a little bit about what was your childhood like and, you know, what led you up to, you know, sports and what you're doing with, you know, the business side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my dad was in the military, so that kind of took us to a lot of different places around the world. Uh, I was born in Naples, Italy and lived there um, and then moved to New York for a, a short stay that we had there and then Seoul, Korea um, until I was about four years old. And then we landed in uh, Southern California, and most of my upbringing was in Southern California. But I would say the military background of being able to travel and be able to, you know, adjust and um, navigate different areas of the world uh, helped just me getting more and more comfortable with people. And I would say one of the through lines that I, I think is really important uh, for me in my life is uh, the connection with other people and being able to be of service to other people. And I think some of the best entrepreneurs in the world um, have that as, as one of their major through lines is that they really have a love for people and want to either solve problems or bring products or services, you know, to, um, you know, to people in a unique way. And, right. you know, I've had a lot of, uh, and I've mentored a lot of entrepreneurs and some entrepreneurs are like, you know, I just have to have this amazing idea. And usually it comes down to less about having an amazing idea, but really solving a human problem. Um, and, and going after that is really the impetus and driving force uh, for usually getting a business started because you really mm -hmm. got to care about uh, what you're doing if you're going to start something from scratch. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I want to touch upon that real quick, because I think modern entrepreneurship is so different because, you know, you mentioned it's not so much about having an awesome idea. And I believe that it's important to have ideas, but you have to be able to solve a problem. The bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. And I think too many entrepreneurs get hung up on, I have an amazing idea, but they don't actually do anything with that idea. They don't actually start, they don't start connecting. They don't, they don't start to find a solution you know, to that problem. But the biggest thing also that you mentioned towards the end is to make that human connection. And honestly, I agree with you 100% on that 100%. Every successful entrepreneur, and again, it just depends on, you know, what success looks like to you, but let's say it's money or building a business or achieving certain things that you've had as dreams since childhood, you know, that being the definition of success each one of those people are human connectors. They're relationship builders. And when you said that also, I can resonate with that so much being an Eastern European and also, you know, going through so much adversity in my early childhood, also to come to a realization that I've always been a people person. I've always been a connector as opposed to you know, taking this idea and saying, you know what, this is the best idea. And I'm going to bring it to fruition. No, like, connect with people, help solve a problem, the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity, and then you cleanse and repeat from there, literally. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And, you know, I think for any entrepreneurs or a potential entrepreneur in the future, um, look at what your natural um, passions are or your natural inclinations, uh, because, Whatever you do, if you pursue starting something new, um, you're really going to have to make sure that there's enough energy behind it um, to, you know, work through those dark nights uh, and be able to um, maintain the kind of the stick with itness uh, that, that's right. going to be necessary uh, to get something uh, to market. And so either just deeply connecting, you know, to what it is that you're passionate about and maybe your passion is people. And, you know, that's part of your deal. And you're just like a, a social, you know, connector and you want to be able to just be of service, um, you know, to a specific group of people uh, sometimes. And then talking with them, um, you can learn and uncover problems that, you know, that group of people or that market is experiencing. And then maybe your business idea instead of comes through, comes through you and maybe your innovation and, uh, and, um, inventiveness, but comes through just conversations of, of listening. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, so me and you met on clubhouse, the new, the yep. new app that everybody's talking about. And uh, before we hit record, we talked exactly about that is the, the ability to create those human connections and how they've taken, you know, such, a, such a simple, you know, fundamental uh, principle and amplified it to the point to where I think someone said that they're over a million users in like six months of existence. And it's just fascinating to see from a technology standpoint, how an app is connecting so many amazing people around the world and giving them a platform for them to interact from an audio perspective. Because as we know that there's two ways, there's two types of people. There's auditory people and there's visual type of people. 
Now, this is where, you know, video and content driving the majority of traffic on the Internet because it's about storytelling. You know, this mm-hmm. is why we're recording this podcast in video yep. is because it creates uh, a realistic, you know, interpretation in the eyes of the viewer. But then audio is the next best thing, right? Because you get to hear the voice. And I was literally blown away. And I've been only on, you know, Clubhouse for a couple of weeks now that like meeting you and other great people also, like, I, would, I, don't, I don't think I would have had that opportunity to do that. But even then, so is leveraging those connections, you know, yep. like I, me reaching out to you and saying, hey, Andrew, we should do a podcast. You know, I think you got a great background. I see what, what you're doing, but it's just that. So going back to so when you were moving around your childhood days, like how did sports kind of come about? And then obviously, you know, being college bound and, and yep. then going pro. I'd love to hear the story about going pro. Yeah, I mean, sports, I guess. Uh, being growing up in Southern California, uh, sports is just kind of a staple, you know, in that community. So growing up playing, you know, soccer, baseball, um, basketball. And then when I got into high school, I started playing football as well. Uh, and I always looked at sports as a, as, as a really, and it was always team sports. So I was, you know, building friendships and sports, you know, as an activity is a really good way to build um, just relationships and friendships And then, you know, I started, you know, just excelling at them. So I just kind of put more and more time into uh, the different sports that I was playing. And then, you know, when I got to high school, um, well, let's say this, actually, I'll rewind the clock. And I I knew, like, as a five and Mm six-year-old that I wanted to be a professional baseball player. So really young. Yeah, I grew up in a neighborhood where there was just a bunch of, you know, kids that were playing pickup stickball games, you know, on the streets and whatnot. Um, So, and, you know, we were just watching baseball on TV and collecting baseball cards. Uh, So it was really like just part of, um, I don't know, just one of those early childhood dreams. And fast forward, you know, sports um, through high school. And then, you know, I started getting scouted by different professional scouts and different college scouts um, and really, had an opportunity, you know, to, uh, to get uh, recruited and, and, and sign, you know, and a scholarship at Arizona State. And, you know, that was part of the impetus to starting Sports Force was realizing how big of a decision it is uh, for young men and women as student athletes to figure out where they're going to go to college. Uh, because it's, uh, it's just much more of a dynamic and a complex decision than just saying, Oh, I want to be a student and go to this school. Um, and so, and, and I think sports is like the ultimate um, it's one of the ultimate classrooms that parents cannot try to replicate in their own home. Like the yeah. lessons that the lessons that you learn through sports really are, are, or something that can be transferred to other parts of your life that a parent can say, Oh, let me teach my kid how to be more confident. Let me teach my kid how to be more of this, but nothing like the arts and sports and, and just where you have to be where, where competition is. Um, yeah. Whatever that is, it could be chess. It could be arts. It could be robotics, just putting young men and young women in, in places where they have to compete uh, and be measured and, 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 you know, be able to build something or work together is really, really powerful to build the values uh, that I think can translate to other parts of life. Yeah. 
That's a really good point. I actually want to expand upon that. Like you said, sports is really competitive. And, you know, for me, as I think in my 20s, I was huge into basketball, you know, like the days of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and um, Shaquille O'Neal. You know, I, like I feel like there were what probably a decade ago now when they were so active. Right. But then at some point, kind of like faded, I think. I mean, still into sports, but not like heavily into it. Still into baseball, not so much into football, but, you know, uh, and basketball, too, whenever I can. But nothing nowhere near what it was in my 20s. Uh, but the competitive nature of that that you pointed out, I think, is important. I think especially in early childhood, you know, as you were growing up, it's just that I think you probably had some level of energy behind that, too. That was kind of driving your understanding the competitive nature of it and how it was measured because it was sports is measured based on performance. And in mm -hmm. essence, like how you score, whether it's a home run or whether it's a, a basket, a three pointer, you know, or a free throw or whatever in any sport. Right. And I think that really drives a lot of people. Right. I think that's why they say sports is a universal language, right? It's because I think there's such a quantitative aspect to that that a lot of people actually don't understand. I mean, sure, it's great to see these superstar athletes that are playing, but underneath that is the scoring, the competitive nature, and, you know, who's going pro from college or, you know, who's maybe retiring to Hall of Fame or something, you know? Um, so... Cool. So as you were getting into, you know, college and like, then you went pro, obviously, at, at what point did that, that kind of like starting your own business come about? Yeah, well, I'll rewind the clock a little bit. So I started making money as a seventh grader uh, in, uh, in middle school. Um, and the concept was really simple. Like, you know, there wasn't uh, vending machines at, at our middle school, you know, being able to provide, you know, candy. So, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to sell Skittles and make some money just as a seventh grader buying a box of Skittles pretty much once or twice a, um, a week and just being able to make, make, make money. And I guess sugar, sugar is like a drug for kids, right? It's super addictive. So <laughs> I had a really good product. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I was selling out those Skittles boxes really quick. And, but I think I was just interested in understanding um, how to bring something to the market and be able to, uh, you know, sell and interact with people. And then fast forward, you know, when I was in high school, I started designing my own clothes. Um, and so that was kind of another creative outlet, I guess. I was always just interested in starting something from scratch. Mm -hmm. So I was using a sewing machine and doing also silkscreen t-shirt designs. And this was really a hobby. I didn't try to like take it much bigger than that. Um, and then sports, you know, started um, really getting, I would say, filling up my schedule. Mm -hmm. And then once I went off to college at Arizona State, I was drafted by the Red Sox out of high school, had a chance to sign professionally, uh, but decided to go to college instead. And then, um, then I went the college route and, uh, you know, signed professionally after college. And just really realize that, hey, you know what, even after I get done playing, sports is always going to be a part of my life. Yeah. And so the impetus for starting Sports Force was realizing that most parents have never raised a student athlete before, um, haven't gone through either the college or the professional transition process. Um, student athletes are often, you know, coached by 
uh, coaches that haven't gone through, you know, a high level college or a professional process. And there yeah. just needed to be more mentorship and guidance in place. Um, so sports force is really, you know, nailing kind of the challenge where you're an unrecognized, you know, high school student athlete who needs to get, you know, exposure to a variety of different college potentially that could be all over the country uh, to then get recruited um, and using technology. So I really wanted to bridge sports and technology to create this platform to connect people. Mm -hmm. So that was, yeah. So there's, as you, as you were talking, there were a few things there I wanted to touch upon because they were key. First of all, you were talking about candy (laughs) as a father of a four-year-old and a two-year-old, I'm like, my kids get their hands, you know, candy. It's like, it's all over. And then it's like, Oh, we want candy for dinner. So like, yes, you had an amazing product. You hit the nail, you know, on the head with that one. And then obviously from there, it was kind of like, you know, a a snowball. It was a chain effect, but um, you're absolutely right. You know, Uh, and I was, when you were talking about the most parents have not raised a child that aspires to be, a professional athlete is 100% true because most parents were not professional athletes. Let's face it this way. And this is what we see in entrepreneurship nowadays. And in in fact, I was trying not to just example. I was on clubhouse recently. I I saw someone that started a room uh, teaching something that they have never done. And that was a prime example, like of entrepreneurship. And when you were speaking of how most parents have never raised a, a professional athlete, their child, and they aspire to do that is they were missing the education. And that's where you were filling in that gap, basically, to provide the mentorship and that guidance. So they would, they would be an asset to their child because it's great to be a father and a mother, right? But it's different to know how to guide your child for something that they, that they love and they're passionate about which you were, I could tell you've been passionate, you know, and you've loved playing sports since a very uh, young age. So when you were talking about energy earlier, I think that was that energy, you know, for you is like, there was a love and passion that freedom, uh, perhaps that sports was given that to you. Um, The other thing, like you mentioned, it was really interesting. You said that you had an opportunity to sign with the Red Sox out of high school, but you passed on that opportunity. So I'm sure there was a lot of debate on that, right? I'm sure that was a difficult decision because let's face it, coming out of high school, going pro, that's a dream come true for most kids. But you said, no, I want to go to college. Yeah. So, uh, and actually I want to segue that from there because another thought that I had on my mind is, um, by the way, congrats that you made that decision, because I think that at, at that crossroads, when talented, aspiring athletes, you know, have that opportunity, they take it because they're so blindsided by the flashiness and I'm going pro, I'm going to make money. I'm going to wear a professional Jersey. I'm going to be on a field with tens of thousands of fans on there like they get caught up in the glamour i think but you didn't and i know at 18 years old that had to be a difficult decision right 100 um yeah you know you start talking about the money and you start thinking about you know where you could spend the money what you could do with it um and for me it came down to there was a couple things that were going on so um 
my dad was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer when I was a senior in high school. So he was going through chemotherapy um, as, you know, that whole getting drafted professionally was happening. Um, and that kind of put life into an interesting perspective from a family perspective. And him and I really butted heads kind of coming up through like high school, as most teenagers do with their, with their dads, especially like motivated, ambitious, young, young men don't want to, you know, listen to what their dad's telling them to do all the time. Right. Um, and he was a captain in the military and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to do things my way and da, 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 da. Um, so that really, uh, helped, I guess, um, reestablish a good father-son relationship um, mm -hmm. was actually him being diagnosed. Um, and he was given, you know, it was, it was, it was stage four pancreatic cancer. So they were like, you know what, you got, he's got six months to live um, and time is fleeting. And I tell parents this, you know, all the time. And I say that, you know, the days that your son is going to have a jersey on their back, playing a sport that they love it's it's fleeting this time is fleeting like how are you supporting yeah. them um and how are you enjoying the journey because you know they're not going to play forever um so that's a big lesson that i try to impart on different parents um, you know one thing not to interject that you said and i actually remember because my son uh has played um not wiffle ball, but I think it was T-ball. That's what it was. T-ball. So he yep. played T-ball. He played soccer. And we're trying to get him into sports. I think he really likes sports. We just haven't really found like which one yet because he's four and my daughter's two. But you said the lifespan of an athlete is short. You said fleeting. So, um, you know, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan because I live in St. Louis, obviously. And uh, Yadier Molina, who's one of the best catchers in the league, right? Yep. Uh, like looking at like him winding down his career. Right. But when you look at it, it's a really short career, you know, in, in terms of years. And when you come to realize that is that's a really good point that you made is just that I think parents for aspiring athletes need to be 200% supportive of their children and do it in a way where, you know, they support them unconditionally because that lifespan is actually very short from the time that let's hypothetically say, you know, college sports, and then they, maybe they go pro not to span of what, 20 years, maybe yes. that's yep. not a long, that's not really a long time, you know, for, for an athlete, when you, when you have to keep in mind that, you know, it's really probably maybe 10 to 15 years that you would be pro if you end up going pro, right. Exactly. It's such a short, you know, time span so you made a really good point and i think a lot of parents don't realize that because they don't really know what they're getting into and you actually gave me really good insight saying that because i'm thinking okay one day my son's gonna play sports right do i need to hire like a, a professional coach or something to help guide him because i can be there and support him but like you said this is why i think you know sports force exists is to mentor parents right to help guide them to know how to support and encourage you know, their kids so they can fulfill their dreams because uh, it was your dream to go pro, right? It's uh, yep. maybe all your life, but at, at least at some point in your life. And I know that's probably what goes on through, through a child's head. It's like, they want to go pro. They see these idols on TV, hitting home runs and, you know, throwing long yards in the NFL, or even now with soccer being so popular also uh, as well, you know? So, um, 
I want to segue the question, though, because I was just thinking about this is would love to get your thoughts on the current state of sports with COVID and everything. Like, what have you seen? What are some predictions that you think into 2021? We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I'll talk about youth sports and then uh, I'll talk about like college and professional sports. All right. So Mm -hmm. I can kind of break them up into two different things. Um, And I would say, you know, youth sports has been heavily impacted by COVID-19, depending on what state or what country you live in. So uh, for most of it, um, for many different states, you know, it's just been shut down. Like they're not playing outside or they're not playing indoor uh, competitions. Um, But what what that does is it gives uh, a time uh, for players and parents to actually better prioritize training. And I think what's going on right now is you're really running into an epidemic where single sports specialization at a young age has become so popular. Like, you know, imagine your four-year-old, you know, now he's 10 years old and you're saying, you know what, I only want you to play soccer or baseball and just do that. You know, that used to not happen. And the challenge with that is it's creating overuse injuries. So, you know, a 12 year old's arms blowing out because they're throwing every weekend in games, you know, 50 weekends, uh, you know, 50 weekends a year, or whatever, 30 weekends a year. Right. And, and the body's just not ready for that. So if, you know, if you're a parent uh, and you're raising children that are, that are playing sports, my recommendation is um, continue to expose them to a variety of different sports, see what resonates and what kind of lights them up Um And don't be so concerned if your child is showing such advanced skill at a young age that you have to just put all your eggs in that basket. I don't think that's, I I don't think that's healthy. Um, I think you can look at potentially single sports specialization later, uh, usually at the high school level, um, if that's required for that sport and for that player to really excel. And let's say the, the prospect of going to college or playing professionally are really there. Um, but prior to high school, I would, you know, give them a lot of variety because it also helps the, the human body of a young, young athlete develop in different ways because basketball is going to teach you different things that baseball could never teach you. And, you know, soccer is going to teach you different things and, and, and it'll also give your body, um, more what they, what they refer to as, as a balanced, um, yeah. Right. Because a a sport like baseball where you're swinging something and you're only doing it from one side over and over and over again, um, you can have real muscle imbalances and, and, you know, just challenges with your overall health. Yeah, it's kind of like what you said is, I think, really important. I just want to touch upon that. You said variety of different sports. And it's kind of like when you go to the gym and they say, you know, full body workout is great. So like, you know, not just to confine your child to just baseball or soccer or I don't know, even golf, maybe or football. Right. But like have them try it all because it kind of gives them that, you know, full body experience and allows their body to develop because you never know when your child might discover, you know, a hidden potential that might be really good at baseball because they can swing a bat. I know my son can swing a bat like crazy. I'm like, okay, he's going to be probably a baseball player, you know, because he just likes swinging, you know, he likes swinging. Now you got to get it to control swinging. That's another story. Swing at the ball. Don't swing at me because he swings with force. 
So yeah. it requires some coaching right there. But that's a really good point, because I think, you know, some parents, especially like if parents were into sports, like at some point in their life, usually like in high school, maybe, or maybe they played in college, but they kind of had this dream on the back of their mind that maybe one day they'll go pro. So now being, you know, a father or a mother, like, you know what, maybe my child can be a pro baseball player. Like, it's like they're reliving their own dream almost, you know, and uh, which is a whole nother conversation, uh, I think. But uh, it's interesting you said, you know, the shutdown of sports, but still, you know, encouraging parents, you know, to really expose their kids, you know, to try out different sports, you know, kick the ball around, throw the football, maybe swing the bat here and there and like alternate that. Right. It's kind of what you were going after. Absolutely. And the other point is that uh, the, um, the importance of training and understanding the fundamentals. So if you think about martial arts and karate and you have different um you know, colored belts for you to work your way all the way up to a black belt. Mm -hmm. And so sports are pretty technical in a way where uh, you have to learn the basic movements. Uh, and another analogy might be like learning the guitar or playing the piano. You have to learn the basic notes first of the music before you move on to more accelerated moves. And sports are very similar. So, and the challenge with just playing a bunch of games is it doesn't give you like the training ground um, in a in a safe and comfortable environment sometimes to build the foundation that's needed for let's say swinging a bat or throwing a baseball, and the earlier you can get the right technique, this is the critical kind of takeaway. The earlier you can get the right technique and the right habits, uh, then you start to stack strength and growth on top of that. And you're going to have a longer, healthier, more successful uh, experience as, a, as an athlete in that particular sport. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Um, you know, I want to shift the conversation a little bit towards the human transformation, because I know you're huge on human transformation and force of good. And I would love to hear your take on that. Like, how do you interpret that human transformation? How do you apply that in your life? on with the business, uh, anything and everything, take it away on that. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's in our, it's in our DNA to care for, you know, our fellow brothers and sisters. Like, I, th I think that's just part of our tribal DNA. You know, we've been, um, on this planet for hundreds of thousands of years and we've been, uh, trained, you know, through tribes on how to care for each other. So I think on just a, on a primal and tribal level, like it's, it's in our DNA to, to care for each other. And um, I just really try to, you know, infuse that in everything that I uh, put my time and energy into of saying, okay, how is this going to be a vehicle for transformation in someone's life? So yeah. obviously sports, you know, is a big vehicle uh, for people's transformation physically, emotionally, mentally, even academically. Um, and then, um, you know, entrepreneurship is also a really transformational engine, like, you know, starting a business yeah. and getting a product to market and then going, you know, and then learning how to do sales and marketing and scaling that business like that is in, in and of itself is a total transformational journey. So yep. I love entrepreneurs. Uh, to me, business is like the ultimate sport and entrepreneurs are the ultimate athletes. 
And so if we can help more entrepreneurs be empowered, um, you know, I think we're living in a current capitalistic system that um, is challenging where uh, in a way where, you know, the concept of saying, oh, you're going to work this, you know, nine to five job and you're going to punch this clock. People are looking for just a different path, right? They want to have a different path, you know, to um, express themselves creatively. Um, So um, that's why I love, you know, the entrepreneurial route. And I'd say uh, the other things that interest me relative to uh, transformation and and human transformation, um, I didn't share this with you, but uh, I've been kind of involved in, uh, you know, blockchain for quite a while as well. Uh, And I see I, I just get attracted to innovative technology that I think is yeah. going to scale and, and, and be able to, you know, transform systems that are broken, old, or, you know, just, let's say, uh, antiquated systems. Um, yeah. And so that's where, you know, I, I just have a strong interest. And if um, I think if, if you're listening to this and, and you're an entrepreneur, um, you know, you're on it, you're on a journey that's going to be part of your own transformation, but also, you know, by who you serve, depending on your product, you might be able to build a transformational experience into, into what you're offering as well. Yeah. Um, and I think at this time, more than ever before in, in the, in the history of our planet and our civilization, we need more transformational leaders to emerge, uh, because, we have a lot of healing to be done um, and a lot of what I would say is disruptive restructuring uh, that's possible of doing that, that, it, that is needed to be done. So you have, you know, climate needs to be healed and, and, and we need to look at how we use energy um, differently. We need to look at how we um, manage our financial systems differently so we can have opportunity for abundance and wealth to be more pervasive across the, across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, and then I think technology is always pushing innovation, you know, to a point where we're saying, you know, how can we have, um, how can we have jobs that are being done by humans? Um, how can we have them replaced and, and have automation or robotics or other, other systems in place and then let humans work on more creative, higher level, you know, energetic and, uh, and transformational opportunities, because at the core of us, we're here to be of service. And the more we can create an economy and, and kind of a system around where people can generate and deliver value, um, I think there's, there's enough to go around. Um, we're just having to go through a massive metamorphosis and restructuring process that I think it's exciting to be alive right now. Uh, because of there's so much disruption and innovation yeah. and opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's the long-winded version of, uh, of what really, you know, gets me fired up about thinking about uh, human transformation and, uh, you know, being a force for good. Wow. I love that. Every bit of that. Um, and one thing that really stood out to me that I wanted to speak to is the disruptive restructuring. Um, that you mentioned, because uh, I want to start with the entrepreneurial journey. I think entrepreneurship is very commonly scrutinized because it's frowned upon. 
And I think it's largely because it's so misunderstood by outsiders. Um, and this is why, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge proponent for other entrepreneurs such as yourself, because we are problem solvers. We are the innovators of tomorrow, you know, looking at the Elon Musk of the world, which I just heard that uh, was it a couple of weeks ago. He's officially the wealthiest person in the world by a mm. billion. Uh, second to him is Bezos, but there's only a billion dollar difference. And that's because yep. Tesla stock jumped in 2020. But that's another reason. Like you said, it's it's an amazing time to be alive because, you know, for me, 2020 was the best year in almost six years of in business. And it was because if there's one thing that I learned, and I think 2020 has taught me and other entrepreneurs, hopefully watching and listening, understand this is that where there's a problem, there's a solution awaiting. And so there were a lot of problems in 2020. You know, we had the epidemic, we've got the stimulus, we had the elections. I mean, it was like problem after problem after problem after problem. But at the same time, there were solutions being applied. And entrepreneurs, small businesses, sure, the government played a part, but also for entrepreneurs specifically presented tremendous opportunities to create solutions to these problems because that's where growth happens. If you don't have problems, if you don't have discomfort, you are not growing. You are stagnant. And I think, you know, in today's society, you know, that we live in, I think as humans, and, and I've done an extensive episode on this, is that uh, we're, we're wired with fear. We're wired with a bit of pessimism simply because we want to remain comfortable in our domain because comfortable is good. So the human transformation element in this and why disruptive restructuring, I even brought that up, is because I think there's a necessity for it because it's part of evolution. It's part of evolution that, like you mentioned, even in our tribal days, right, we were taught to care for each other because we needed to coexist. So everything that entrepreneurs do, everything that you've done in actuality contributes to humans, to society. And impact. So parents, the mentorship, the education, the guidance that you give. But it's more than that. It's with a purpose because that value that you share helps other parents transform their children into aspiring athletes. Now, that is a, a lifelong endeavor. That's a, a, a life changing experience. And I just I think there's a misinterpretation there. Hence why I think you guys spent so much time on mentorship and, and education because it needs to be communicated. And I'm a huge fan of that. I'm a huge fan of that, you know, because there's, there's never enough education, believe it or not. In fact, if there's one thing that I personally have learned in entrepreneurship is if you lead with education, if you lead with guidance and thought leadership, you create authority. By creating authority, you become the go-to expert. That's how leaders basically become leaders. And in essence, they lead with value. They lead with guidance that is of benefit that solves a problem. So the problem that you guys solve is for parents is how can I help my child become the best athlete? I don't have the resources. I don't have the education. You know, how do I help them get a scholarship? You know, yep. if I don't have the resources, like, what institution should I turn to guide us? So I, I just don't think that, you know, 
people that aren't wired to be entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs are risk takers. <laughs> That's what we are. And it's actually, believe it or not, in our human nature. Think yes. about it. It's back to the tribal days that you were talking about. Is that What do we do in tribes? We hunt it. We still hunt nowadays, but I think with the minutia of everything that's happening in politics and news and media, it's like that has like, you know, has like been buried down below. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very, very basic human thing is, is this that it's in our human nature to thrive, to hunt, to seek opportunities. But it's almost like in modern day and age, too many people are settling for less. They're unwilling to explore. They're unwilling to risk. You know, they're unwilling to be disruptive. And honestly, you know, me personally, I love disruption. I feel like it's a necessity because without disruption, there wouldn't be any growth. There wouldn't be any evolution. You know, it's like um, I remember watching a movie a long time ago. It's like everything is in black and white. Could you imagine if the world was in black and white? Could you imagine that like everyone, men and women, got up at the same time every day, got in the same car every day, went to the same job every day, made the same amount of money every day. Like, where's the diversity in that? You know, go ahead. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and where's the juice? Where's like the, you know, the life force that, uh, that comes through you. So, uh, you know, I think for people that are listening, uh, and I know you have a variety of different kind of personalities that listen, you know, to your show. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like your life and my life is, is, is fleeting. So our time on this planet is fleeting. And, you know, we have to be re- death is a great reminder to live. And yeah. so um, I was on a clubhouse, uh, you know, probably a couple of weeks back. And the question was, we were talking about advances in technology. And the question was, you know, would you want to know, you know, when you were going to die? And if you could, you had a choice, you could know the exact date, you know, uh, based on some algorithm that would, you know, estimate when you were going to die. Um, and I said, yeah, I would, I would love to know um, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, it just, it's nice to, it's nice to, understand um like you have a clicking a a ticking clock like the scoreboard in sports you know what you need to get done before the game's over so i think as human beings we work better under some constraints and when we have a constraint in place and if you have to remind yourself hey you know what this life is fleeting uh i need to make the most of it I need to be able to pursue things that I really care about and, and, and I'm passionate about. And then I need to surround myself and build a tribe of other people that are also going after what they're going, you know, what they're passionate about. Um, I think it's super critical to engineer your environment um, so that you're capable of growth. Because yeah. as human beings, like to your point earlier, we're wired for growth, we're wired for change, we're wired for progress. However, if the environment is not conducive for growth and progress and for transformation, it's not just going to happen typically uh, by someone's willpower. The environment of your community, of, of where you're putting your time and your energy, um, of, what, of what information you're consuming, that all feeds, I think, the, the growth environment and, and creating that growth mindset. Yeah, 
Absolutely. 100%. 100%. You know, um, you brought the question you brought up is uh, the clubhouse question. It's a very interesting one because I think it's uh, so there's people who would say like in the game, you know, you've got the sh- or the shot clock, you know, you got 15 minutes left or however much time. And th- let's say that's all the time you have left. So some people will say, yes, I want to know how much time I've got left on this earth before I die. Right. Because they want to create an expectation. And I agree with you is this. I think that when we create uh, or more of a goal, really, I should say more of a goal that we strive towards is this that it, it creates a sense of pressure, but it's a good pressure because it forces you to do even more. It raises the bar and the standard and the expectations that you put on yourself as a human being. Then there's probably people that would say, OK, well, I don't want to know because it's the spontaneity behind that. So I think it comes down to perception, right? Because perception is reality, right? And that's another beauty thing as human beings that we have different realities. So this was another episode that I did actually is just that, and just to keep it short, there's three different realities. There's your reality, there's my reality, and there's the reality of the world. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it is, literally. And that's the beauty about how we differentiate as human beings, how we contribute to society and the world, how we interpret things specifically, because logic is huge. And in fact, speaking of technology, when you mentioned that early, I think, you know, technology is largely about logic. Right. Because uh, if you look at technology, let's say programming, programming Mm -hmm. is about logic. It's, It's 100% 100% logic. It's a language like maybe PHP, you know, or HTML, right? Some of the most basic ones, you know, these are about logic, basically. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of people don't really understand that. So if you have really good logic and you're a very logical person, you know, programming might appeal to you. I know it appeals to me because I love logic. I'm a sucker for logic. Yeah. But there's people out there that just don't have the logic. So now you have companionship. You have someone who is a huge fan of logic and someone who doesn't really jive with it, but they complement each other, basically. Sure. And that's the beauty about how I think technology and innovation and disruption and how different human beings, how we contribute individually to society to grow and thrive. And I would agree with you. I think even though with all the difficulties in 2020, I think it is a great time to be alive. I mean, we've got electric cars, we've got AI, we've got robotics, you know, and and maybe this is just me being a tech nerd since, you know, I've been a kid pretty much, but how you leverage all of these things, literally, whether it's to build a business or something in your personal life is 100% up to you, right? You you figure it out how you, it's, it's the application aspect of it. And that's essential to entrepreneurship, right? Is, you know, like you said early on, it's great to have an idea, right? But where's the solution? And is it a solution to a big problem? And that's me is like, give me the biggest problem possible. (laughs) I'll find a solution for it. You know, Um, I absolutely enjoyed the conversation. I know we can talk more about sports, but before we sign off, I know that you have uh, a free guide, right? That you were giving away. Do you want to share that real quick? Yeah, I mean, if um, if you're a parent or you're a student athlete uh, or you're a coach, um, you know, our bread and butter at Sports Force is the college recruiting journey and that process. And we're educating 
student athletes from as early as like the seventh grade all the way through, uh, you know, junior college. Uh, so that ranges, you know, 12 years old all the way to 20 years old sometimes. Um, and we put together a lot of valuable education of how college recruiting works today, how college scholarships work today. And it would blow your mind that uh, to know that there are college you know, recruiters that are looking at kids as early as the seventh and eighth grade, depending on what sport it is. So it's a lot different than where it was 10, 15 years ago. Um, and there's just a lot of um, common mistakes that, you know, parents and families that have never been through the process that can make. So we have this guide that really breaks down how college recruiting works, what the competition looks like. And um, yeah, you can go to our website, um, or you can probably find us on, on social media, but sportsforceonline.com is the website. And, um, or Sportsforce, you just search that and, and we'll show up as well. But uh, it, it, it's a passion of mine. Uh, I think that, um, you know, changing the paradigm of how student athletes and how parents are navigating this journey um, and how they're leveraging the sport and their academics you know, to create a life of their dreams. Um, I can't tell you how important it was for sports and, and school to be part of my upbringing. Um, so part of my mission is I want as many other student athletes and families uh, to keep that jersey on their back, you know, for one more year. So yeah. if it's because uh, that alone is going to open up more opportunities because at the end of the day, sports is a huge social network of, of relationships. Um, so if your child goes to XYZ college, plays sports there, the likelihood of them getting connected to post-collegiate opportunities and careers and businesses, and it's, it's just much more um, of a fertile ground um, yeah. coming, out of, you know, coming out of college as a student athlete. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that info. And uh, I wanted to make sure that, you know, other parents, you know, uh, college bound students also that can reach out, connect with you guys, you know, get get resources, information, education, because I think it's essential, you know, to have that it's a must, you know, especially if they want to thrive, you know, in the sports community, you know, later in life, or even make that a career, you know, after college as well. So, um, Andrew, thank you so much. You know, I absolutely enjoyed the episode, every bit of it. You shared so much information. Congratulations on everything that you guys have done. I can tell that, you know, just by talking with you that you're very passionate about what you do. And uh, that excites me because I think that's a driving force and you have to have it as an entrepreneur. So uh, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, 100%. Ivan, thanks for having me and uh, look forward to uh, continuing the conversation.